0: PTJ podcasts are made possible by the American Physical Therapy Association. Physical therapists diagnose and treat people of all ages with all types of health conditions to help keep them moving and functioning in daily life. Welcome to this PTJ podcast. PTJ is the official publication of the American Physical Therapy Association. PTJ disseminates basic and applied science related to physical therapy, contributes evidence to guide clinical decision-making, and publishes
1: scholarly perspectives from around the world. And now, your host, Donovan Stutel. Welcome to PTJ's Audio Abstracts Podcast for Volume 89, December 2009. This month, PTJ introduces the CARE 5 Conference Series, a series of articles based on presentations at the 5th CARE Conference. An editorial by PTJ Editorial Board member Dr. Maura Iverson introduces the series. Two articles start the CARE 5 Conference series and can be heard at the end of this podcast, Non-Pharmacological and Non-Surgical Interventions for Hand Osteoarthritis and Primary Care for Osteoarthritis. This month's research reports focus on Motor Control Exercise and Chronic Low Back Pain. Spinal manipulative therapy and thermal pain sensitivity in people with low back pain. Social and community participation of children and youth with cerebral palsy. Physical performance, gait variability, falls, and fractures in early post-menopause. Understanding the functional threshold for paretic hand and arm use after therapy. Assessment of need for physical therapy after traumatic lower extremity injury. And Center of Pressure Movement Variability in Infants. Listen to the latest PTJ discussion podcasts. Feet Reaching in Preterm Infants will be available in early December. The two-part discussion podcast, Rehabilitation for Military Service Members Returning from Iraq and Afghanistan, is available now. All PTJ podcasts are available at PTJ's new address, ptjournal.apta.org, and as always, on iTunes. First this month, Motor Control Exercise for Chronic Low Back Pain, a randomized placebo-controlled trial by Dr. Leonardo Costa, Dr. Christopher Marr, Dr. Jane Latimer, Dr. Paul Hodges, Dr. Robert Herbert, Dr. Catherine Fshawga, Dr. James McCauley, and Matthew D. Jennings. This abstract is presented by Dave Corvoisier.
0: The evidence that exercise intervention is effective for treatment of chronic low back pain comes from trials that are not placebo-controlled. The purpose of this randomized placebo-controlled trial was to investigate the efficacy of motor control exercise for people with chronic low back pain. The study was conducted in an outpatient physical therapy department in Australia. The participants were 154 patients with chronic low back pain of more than 12 weeks' duration. Twelve sessions of motor control exercise or placebo exercise were conducted over eight weeks. Motor control exercise involved exercises designed to improve function of specific muscles of the low back region and the control of posture and movement. The placebo exercise involved detuned ultrasound therapy and detuned shortwave therapy. Primary outcomes were the following pain intensity, activity, as measured by the patient-specific functional scale, and the patient's global impression of recovery, all measured at two months. Secondary outcomes were the following. Pain, activity, as measured by the patient-specific functional scale, the patient's global impression of recovery, measured at six and twelve months, activity limitation, as measured by the Roland Morris Disability Questionnaire, at two, six, and twelve months, and risk of persistent or recurrent pain at 12 months. The exercise intervention improved activity and the patient's global impression of recovery, but it did not clearly reduce pain at two months. The mean effect of exercise on activity measured by the patient-specific functional scale was 1.1 points. The mean effect on global impression of recovery was 1.5 points and the meat effect on pain was 0.9 points, all measured on 11-point scales. Secondary outcomes also favored motor control exercise. A limitation of the study was that the clinicians could not be blinded to the intervention they provided. Motor control exercise produced short-term improvements in global impression of recovery and activity, but not pain for people with chronic low back pain. Most of the effects observed in the short term were maintained at the 6- and 12-month follow-ups.
1: An invited commentary on this article by Dr. Julie Fritz, as well as the author response, are available in print and online. Lead author Dr. Leonardo Costa is research fellow in the musculoskeletal division at the George Institute for International Health in Sydney, Australia. Next, Spinal Manipulative Therapy has an immediate effect on thermal pain sensitivity in people with low back pain. A Randomized Controlled Trial By Dr. Joel Bialoski Dr. Mark Bishop, Dr. Michael Robinson, Giorgio Zepieri Jr., and Dr. Stephen George Current evidence suggests that spinal manipulative therapy
0: is effective in the treatment of people with low back pain. However, the corresponding mechanisms are unknown. Hypoalgesia is associated with spinal manipulative therapy and is suggestive of specific mechanisms. The primary purpose of this randomized controlled trial was to assess the immediate effects of spinal manipulative therapy on thermal pain perception in people with low back pain. A secondary purpose was to determine whether the resulting hypoalgesia was a local effect and whether psychological influences were associated with changes in pain perception. A sample of convenience was recruited from community and outpatient clinics. 36 people, 10 men, and 26 women currently experiencing low back pain participated in the study. The average age of the participants was about 32 years. The average duration of low back pain was about 221 weeks. Baseline demographic and psychological measurements were obtained, followed by quantitative sensory testing to assess temporal summation and a delta fiber-mediated pain perception. Next, participants were randomly assigned to ride a stationary bicycle, perform low-back extension exercises, or receive spinal manipulative therapy. Finally, the same quantitative sensory testing protocol was reassessed to determine the immediate effects of each intervention on thermal pain sensitivity. Hypoalgesia to A-delta fiber-mediated pain perception was not observed. Group-dependent hypoalgesia of temporal summation specific to the lumbar innervated region was observed. Pairwise comparisons indicated significant hypoalgesia in participants who received spinal manipulative therapy but not in those who rode a stationary bicycle or performed low back extension exercises. Psychological factors did not significantly correlate with changes in temporal summation in participants who received spinal manipulative therapy. This study had the following limitations. Only immediate effects of spinal manipulative therapy were measured, so the authors are unable to comment on whether the inhibition of temporal summation is a lasting effect. Furthermore, the authors are unable to comment on the relationship between their findings and changes in clinical pain. Inhibition of A-delta fiber-mediated pain perception was similar for all groups. However, inhibition of temporal summation was observed only in participants receiving spinal manipulative therapy suggesting a modulation of dorsal horn excitability that was observed primarily in the lumbar innervated area.
1: A bottom line for this article is available online. Lead author Dr. Joel Bialoski is clinical assistant professor in the Department of Physical Therapy at the University of Florida in Gainesville, Florida. Next, social and community participation of children and youth with cerebral palsy is associated with age and Gross Motor Function Classification by Dr. Robert Palisano, Lin-Ju Kang, Dr. Lisa Shirello, Dr. Margo Orlin, Dr. Donna Offinger, and Dr. Jill Maggs. Through social and community participation, children and youth with cerebral
0: palsy form friendships, gain knowledge, learn skills, express creativity, and determine meaning and purpose in life. The purposes of this study were, one, to determine whether social and community participation of children and youth with cerebral palsy differ based on age, sex, and gross motor function, and, two, to identify the types of activities in which social and community participation are highest. A prospective cross-sectional analytic design was used. The participants were a sample of convenience of 291 children between the ages of 6 and 12, and 209 youth between the ages of 13 and 21 with cerebral palsy who were receiving services from seven children's hospitals. 55% were male and 45% were female. Participants completed the children's assessment of participation and enjoyment by structured interview. Gross motor function classification system level was determined by the researchers. Youth did a higher percentage of activities with friends and others and outside the home than children. Children and youth in Level 1 did a higher percentage of activities with friends and others compared with children and youth in Levels 2 and 3 and in Levels 4 and 5. Children and youth in Level 1 and in Levels 4 and 5 did a higher percentage of activities outside the home than children and youth in Levels 2 and 3. Differences were not found between females and males. The percentage of activities done with friends and others and outside the home was highest for physical and skill-based activities. The study had the following limitation. Findings cannot be attributed only to gross motor function classification system level. The ability to walk without restrictions is desirable for social and community participation. For children and youth with cerebral palsy who have limitations in mobility, physical therapists have roles as consultants for accessibility, activity accommodations, and assistive technology, and as advocates for inclusive environments.
1: Lead author Dr. Robert Polisano is professor in the Department of Physical Therapy and Rehabilitation Sciences at Drexel University and is a member of the scientific staff of Shriners Hospitals for Children, both in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Gate variability detects women in early postmenopause with low bone mineral density. By Dr. Kirsten Polombaro, Dr. Larita Hack, Dr. Kathleen Klein Mangioni, Dr. Ann Barr, Dr. Roberta Newton, Dr. Francesca Magri, and Dr. Teresa Speziale. Women in early postmenopause and with low bone mineral density may
0: exhibit early markers for physical frailty as a result of sarcopenia and osteopenia. The purpose of this study was to determine whether women in early postmenopause and with low bone mineral density exhibit decreased physical performance and differences in gait variability and fall and fracture rates. This study was an observational cohort design with participants assigned to groups on the basis of bone mineral density status. 54 women, 31 with low bone mineral density and 23 with normal bone mineral density participated in the study. This study was conducted in a university research facility. Physical performance was measured by assessment of dynamic balance determined by a timed backward tandem walk test, strength determined by handheld dynamometry of isometric quadriceps muscle force production, and free gait speed. Gait variability was assessed on the basis of the coefficient of variation for temporal spatial gait characteristics. Falls and fractures were assessed for the year after initial testing. Significant between-group differences were found for step-time and stance-time variability. The limitations of this study included group assignment on the basis of the results of the most recent bone density scan within the preceding two years. Women in early postmenopause and with low bone mineral density exhibited increased gait variability in step-time and stance-time but did not exhibit differences in balance, strength, or gait speed. Gait variability may be more sensitive for detecting differences in women in early postmenopause and with or without low bone mineral
1: density than more typical measures of physical performance. A bottom line for this article is available online. Lead author Dr. Kirsten Polambaro is Community Engagement Coordinator for the Institute for Physical Therapy Education at Widener University, in Chester, Pennsylvania. Next, a functional threshold for long-term use of hand and arm function can be determined. Predictions from a computational model and supporting data from the Extremity Constraint-Induced Therapy Evaluation EXCITE trial by Dr. Nicholas Schweikoffer, Chol Hahn, Dr. Stephen Wolfe, Dr. Michael Arbib, and Dr. Carolee Winstein.
0: Although spontaneous use of the more affected arm and hand after stroke is an important determinant of participation and quality of life, a number of patients exhibit decreases in use following rehabilitative therapy. A previous neurocomputational model predicted that if the dose of therapy is sufficient to bring performance above a certain threshold, training can be stopped. The aim of this study was to test the hypothesis that there exists a threshold for function of the paretic arm and hand after therapy. If function is above this threshold, spontaneous use will increase in the months following therapy. In contrast, if function is below this threshold, spontaneous use will decrease. New computer simulations are presented showing that changes in arm use following therapy depend on a performance threshold. This prediction was tested by reanalyzing the data from the Extremity Constraint-Induced Therapy Evaluation, or EXCITE trial, of Phase 3 Randomized Controlled Trial. In the EXCITE trial, participants received constraint-induced movement therapy for two weeks and were tested both one week and one year after therapy. The results demonstrate that arm and hand function measured immediately after therapy predicts, on average, the long-term change of arm use. Above a functional threshold, use improves. Below this threshold, use decreases. This study had the following limitation. The reanalysis of the EXCITE trial data provides a group threshold above which a majority of patients, but not all, improve spontaneously. A goal of future research is to provide the means to assess when patients reach their individual threshold. Understanding of the causal and nonlinear relationship between limb function and daily use is important for the future development of cost-effective interventions and prevention
1: of rehabilitation in vain. This article will be the subject of a discussion podcast. A bottom line for this article is available online. Lead author Dr. Nicholas Schweikoffer is Assistant Professor in the Division of Biokinesiology and Physical Therapy at the School of Dentistry and in the Department of Computer Science at the University of Southern California in Los Angeles, California. Next, orthopedic surgeons and physical therapists differ in assessment of need for physical therapy after traumatic lower extremity injury. By Dr. Kristen Archer, Dr. Ellen McKenzie, Dr. Rena Castillo, and Dr. Michael Boss for the LEAP Study Group.
0: Lower extremity injuries constitute the leading cause of trauma hospitalizations among people under the age of 65 years. Rehabilitation has the potential to favorably influence the outcomes associated with traumatic lower extremity injuries. The objectives of this study were to explore variability in surgeon and physical therapist assessments of the need for physical therapy in patients with traumatic lower extremity injuries, and to determine the factors associated with assessments of need. This study was a retrospective cohort investigation. Participants were 395 patients treated by reconstruction in the Lower Extremity Assessment Project. They were evaluated at eight Level 1 trauma centers at 3, 6, and 12 months after hospitalization by an orthopedic surgeon and a physical therapist to determine the need for physical therapy. Analyses included multilevel logistic regression. Chi-square analyses showed that surgeon and therapist assessments of need differed statistically across trauma centers. Surgeons were more likely to assess a need for therapy at 3 months when participants had low work self-efficacy, impaired knee flexion range of motion, and weight-bearing limitations. Surgeons were more likely to assess a need for therapy at 6 and 12 months when participants had impaired knee flexion range of motion and weight-bearing and balance limitations. Therapists were more likely to assess a need for therapy at 3 months when participants had moderate to severe pain. Therapists were more likely to assess a need for therapy at 6 and 12 months when participants had low work self-efficacy, pain, impaired knee flexion range of motion, and balance limitations. The results revealed variability in assessments of the need for physical therapy at the provider and trauma center levels. Differences in provider assessments highlight the need for communication and further investigation into the outcomes and
1: timing of physical therapy for the treatment of traumatic lower extremity injuries. An invited commentary by Dr. Michael Johnson and the author response are available in print and online. An online invited commentary by Dr. Lynn Snyder-Mackler is available online only. A bottom line for this article is also available online. Lead author Dr. Kristen Archer is assistant professor in the Department of Orthopedics and Rehabilitation at the School of Medicine, Vanderbilt University Medical Center in Nashville, Tennessee. Infants born preterm exhibit different patterns of center of pressure movement than infants born at full term. By Dr. Stacy Dusing, Anastasia Covellido, Dr. Vicky Mercer, and Dr. Nick Sturgio. Infants
0: born preterm are at risk for developmental impairments related to postural control. The purpose of this study was to determine whether infants born preterm and infants born at full term differed in postural control at 1 to 3 weeks after term age. This study included 17 infants born preterm and 15 infants born at full term without diagnosed neurological or genetic conditions. Center of pressure data were recorded at 5 Hz while each infant was positioned supine on a pressure-sensitive mat in an alert behavioral state. Root-mean-square displacement and approximate entropy were used to describe the center of pressure movement variability in the time series. Differences between groups were identified using independent t-tests. The center of pressure time series were found to be deterministic, suggesting order in the time series. Infants born preterm exhibited significantly larger root-mean-square values in the caudal cephalic direction than infants born at full term. However, infants born at full term had significantly larger approximate entropy values in the cephalic direction. The two groups did not differ in root mean square or approximate entropy values in the medial lateral direction or the resultant. Infants born at full term exhibited center of pressure displacements in the cephalic direction that were smaller in amplitude but may be considered more complex or less predictable than those of infants born preterm. One explanation is that infants born preterm exhibited more stereotypic patterns of movement, resulting in large but repetitive center of pressure excursions. A combination of linear and nonlinear measures may provide
1: insight into the control of posture of young infants. Lead author Dr. Stacy Dusing is assistant professor in the Department of Physical Therapy at the Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond, Virginia. Next, the first of the two CARE 5 Conference Series articles in this issue. First, there is inadequate evidence to determine effectiveness of non-pharmacological and non-surgical interventions for hand osteoarthritis. An overview of high-quality systematic reviews by Rikka Moa, Dr. Ingvild Kirken, Dr. Thiel Ullig, and Dr. Cora Bergd-Hagen. Patients
0: with hand osteoarthritis are commonly treated by healthcare professionals allied to medicine. Practice should be informed by updated evidence from systematic reviews of randomized controlled trials. The purpose of this overview is to summarize the evidence from systematic reviews of the effectiveness of non-pharmacological and non-surgical interventions for patients with hand osteoarthritis. Systematic reviews published between January 2000 and October 2008 were identified by a comprehensive literature search. Two reviewers independently selected reviews for inclusion assessed their methodological quality, and extracted and synthesized data according to predefined criteria. Four systematic reviews finally were included. Based on single randomized control trials, there is some evidence of the effect of pain relief from topical capsaicin compared with placebo and for favorable functional outcomes for exercise and education compared with osteoarthritis information alone. This study had the following limitations. In overviews, results are dependent on available systematic reviews. They are important tools to guide directions in choice of interventions and locate areas where more research is needed, but they might not be useful for deciding specifically how interventions should be carried out. There currently is insufficient high-quality evidence regarding non-pharmacological and non-surgical interventions for hand osteoarthritis. Considering the limited research evidence and the prevalence and impact of the disease, there is an urgent need for more trials of non-pharmacological and non-surgical interventions for hand osteoarthritis.
1: Lead author Rikka Moa is Research Fellow for the National Resource Center for Rehabilitation in Rheumatology at the Diakonhimet Hospital in Oslo, Norway. New models for primary care are needed for osteoarthritis by Dr. Krisia Jijits, Dr. Jonathan Hill, Mark Porcheret, and Dr. Peter Croft.
0: Musculoskeletal problems are the most common cause of restriction in daily life in most countries. Most health care for musculoskeletal problems is provided in primary care settings. Back pain and joint problems together represent the largest workload of cases of chronic disease seen and managed in primary care settings. This article reflects on aspects of the occurrence natural history, prognosis, and management of common joint problems in primary care. Although the biomedical model has contributed to major advances, a model that embraces chronic pain management and its psychological and social components is needed. In particular, primary care is the ideal arena to achieve high-impact secondary prevention of pain and disability in people with osteoarthritis. Physical therapists are in a crucial position in primary care to provide support for self-management of this condition, especially for interventions related to exercise and behavioral change.
1: Lead author Dr. Krisia Dziedzic is Senior Lecturer in Physiotherapy at the Arthritis Research Campaign National Primary Care Center at Keele University in Keele, United Kingdom. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Science Audio, online at www.scienceaudio.net. We always appreciate your feedback. You can email ptj at scienceaudio.net or leave a voicemail at 626-593-7825.